Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from Brazil, Afghanistan, the United States, and a see you in hell from fascist Italy. Starting out in Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, the current and outgoing president of Brazil, is apparently incredibly despondent and listless after his loss to Lula, the incoming president of Brazil and former president of the Workers' Party. Bolsonaro is apparently considering stepping away from public life for several months because of this depression. This is pretty funny, I gotta say, uh, especially because hopefully he is going to also be facing some serious consequences for his actions. Moving on to Afghanistan, the Taliban, the government of Afghanistan, has recently banned all women from receiving higher education in the country. This is including any women who are currently enrolled in colleges or higher education institutions in the country they are being forced to leave. The government of Afghanistan under the Taliban has already limited the role of women in education and in other spheres of public life. This is in keeping with the right-wing in general's trend towards misogyny and sexism, towards limiting the roles of women and other people whom they consider to be socially less capable or socially lesser in whatever language that is being expressed. Moving on to the United States, Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter continues to reap dividends for the extreme right wing. Twitter has become a cesspool of right wing shit as so many fascist accounts are being reinstated. Journalists that investigate them are being banned or blocked or shadow banned, all sorts of terrible stuff. Musk himself has been spouting increasingly right-wing ideological perspectives on the website, including creating a, a fake investigation about the so-called Twitter files. He has hired a journalist, Barbara Weiss, to investigate what he calls the Twitter files. That is the documents pertaining to the organization and running of Twitter prior to his takeover of the company late this year. Specifically, these documents relate to the moderation that Twitter's company and policies created, specifically around moderating things like extreme right-wing views or conspiratorial thinking or vaccine misinformation, things like that. The Twitter files contain things like, you know, their internal discussions about how and why they eventually banned former President Donald Trump from accessing the platform, how and why they banned certain other fascist accounts from the platform. It's also about the supposed suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story. This is, you know, just like a, a right-wing obsession du jour. It's, it's, it's like about Hunter Biden's laptop having information about some sort of money laundering or something, you know, whatever. The point is that Musk is using these stories and using the voices of these journalists to frame the narrative in the way that he wants. He's trying to make it seem trying to make the narrative be that Twitter was run by a woke mob. You know, that's his words. That Twitter was run by a left-wing perspective and that that disenfranchised right-wing people in the United States. The thing is that Musk and the people who claim these things, Musk and the people who push these kinds of narratives, they do that because they're right-wing. You know, they do that because that's their perspective, right? They do that because they think that the right-wing is right. And it's becoming increasingly obvious that that is what Elon Musk believes. He is a right-wing person. He thinks that queer rights and, you know, queer safety narratively and physically isn't as important as 
what he considers to be absolutist free speech. Of course, he doesn't really care about absolutist free speech when it comes to somebody posting where his private jet is. Although, again, that's public information. You can just look that up where any private jet is. That's just how airlines work. The point is that Musk is using this narrative to try to make it seem like he was saving the United States or the world political sphere from some sort of woke San Francisco control. In fact, what is happening is that Musk is reopening the world's biggest public forum, Twitter, to extreme right-wing perspectives and is suppressing the people who are trying to combat that. Speaking of the growth of extreme right-wing perspectives, statements from friends and co-workers of Ye, that is the artist formerly known as Kanye West, are saying that he has been a fan of Adolf Hitler for decades. And not just like in an ironic way, but like as in for decades, like for 20 years, Ye has been openly talking about how much he likes Hitler, how much he admires Hitler, and how he imitates Hitler and the Nazi party. He has been doing this openly within the members of his, you know, inner circle, you know, that is his closest artistic and business collaborators for 20 years. He's been praising the accomplishments of the Nazis. He has been confronting people saying like, you know, what do you think about the Holocaust and trying to get them to have what he considered to be a quote, nuanced perspective on the Holocaust. Some of these people speaking about his admiration of the Nazis, these people were speaking anonymously, have even said that he got inspiration from the media strategies of Adolf Hitler and Joseph Goebbels, who ran the Nazi propaganda machine in addition to his other numerous Nazi party affiliations and jobs. Remember, Ye even talked about naming his eighth studio album, which he ended up naming Ye after himself. He talked about naming this album Hitler. When he talked about doing that, people thought it was a joke, but but no, it, it it's because the man likes Hitler and has for a very long time. This severely changes the narrative about this guy and his relationship with these things. The fact, you know, that people are talking about like a recent decline in his mental stability or his mental health, that might be true, but it seems like he just kind of like liked the Nazis and Hitler for a long time and has just become more open about it now. This is as the members of the extreme right wing who had liked Donald Trump are turning toward Ye as a Christian nationalist candidate, somebody that they can jump on board with. And this is partly happening because of the next thing I want to talk about, Donald Trump's NFTs. Uh, NFTs are non-fungible tokens, a form of fake money tulip trading nonsense that you might have heard about this year as a crash and burn massive market that immediately imploded. Donald Trump had for weeks up until this week been building up a big announcement that he was going to be making. And it turned out that what he was making an announcement about was NFTs, that is collectible Trump trading cards that aren't even physical objects. They're like JPEGs that, you know, a file somewhere says that you own. This is a truly wonderful and excellent joke. Donald Trump building up for weeks an announcement that he is going to get into the NFT market about a year and a half late. Loyalists of Donald Trump, for example, Steve Bannon, uh, have been visibly pissed about this on videos and chats and other things that they've written and said about it. They've said that Donald Trump must have been manipulated into this. More on-the-ground fascists, like, for example, Baked Alaska, one of these fascists who's 
pushing Ye for president in 2024, a street fighter from the 2015-2016 era, a January 6th live streamer. He has tweeted, quote, I can't believe I'm going to jail for an NFT salesman. And then he put a sad face emoticon. Like, it's just, it's just too good. I mean, you can't make jokes about it. Especially because it turns out that the images that these NFTs are comprised from are apparently rips from Google searches for things like quarterback and cowboy in duster. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just too good. Speaking of things not turning out well for Donald Trump, Donald Trump's tax returns have finally been made public. He's been finally forced to release his tax documents this week after years of being hounded by Congress. One of the important things that was revealed by this is, you know, like many billionaires and extremely rich people, Donald Trump has been paying less in income tax than you have probably, somebody listening to this podcast. It has also revealed an important other fact, which is that the IRS seems to have been deliberately ignoring Donald Trump's tax documents and files, unlike other presidents who they have automatically audited for a very long time. The IRS ignored Donald Trump's tax returns until 2019, when Democrats basically forced them to start looking into it. Donald Trump has essentially paid no money in taxes. The IRS is planning to release the entirety of his tax documents fairly soon. And finally, in further bad news for Donald Trump, we have this week the final statement from the January 6th committee to investigate the invasion of the Capitol building on January 6th of 2021. They released their full report on Wednesday. This report, among other things, this is probably the most important thing that it says. It urges the Department of Justice to pursue Donald Trump on four felony charges. One is the obstruction of an official proceeding of Congress. That's the invasion of the Capitol building physically. This is one of the things that a lot of the people who have physically actually entered the building have been charged with. The second charge is conspiracy to defraud the United States. The third is making false statements, uh, that is, lying about his involvement in the coup, lying about the planning of the coup. And finally, they have recommended that the Department of Justice pursue felony charges for Donald Trump on aiding and inciting an insurrection. That is probably about as close to saying the president of the United States committed a coup that the Democrats are ever going to get. This is the first time that the United States Congress has ever recommended charges for a former president. They also recommended charges and investigations into several Trump allies, including John Eastman, an attorney who came up with a lot of the supposed legal justification for the coup. This is now up to the Department of Justice, which is already investigating Trump for several other crimes, including, you know, principally the fact that he stole and like squirreled away a bunch of secret documents in stupid places, including a, an apparently unsecured storage facility. This is honestly a little bit better than I was worried would happen with the January 6th committee. If they had really fizzled out in the way that they very earnestly could have, they might have fallen short of even recommending charges like this. However, I gotta say that as somebody who studies the right wing and pays attention to how other countries have dealt with their right wing atrocities of the past, this is extremely lackluster. All that's happening is that Congress is recommending that the Department of Justice pursue these charges. They aren't being made yet. It's also true that for whatever reason, they waited until now to do this. Why didn't they do this before the election? Why didn't they do this as soon as they knew they had the charges like justified? Why did they wait so long? What purpose was served by this? 
Donald Trump has already announced that he's going to run for the Republican nomination for the 2024 presidential election. This is making these recommended charges look like a political attack as opposed to just like, hey, man, you tried to commit a coup. And so we said that you committed a coup and that's a crime. And so you should be investigated for that crime. The report also doesn't take into account the fact that the armed forces and police, which are tasked with preventing these kinds of things, essentially ignored this extremely obvious threat, like a threat that was being talked about extremely openly online. This is a victory for those who support a Blue Lives Matter narrative, and it's an extreme failure to understand the connection between the military and the security complex and the right wing in the United States. As such, it is a victory for the so-called, you know, centrist Republicans, a waning, dying part of the Republican coalition, raising the idea that part of the reason that the Democrats structured this committee in this way and part of the reason that they used this language was because they're trying to get moderate Republicans on their side instead of trying to make sure that justice is served to people, including me, you know, people whose government was almost taken from them illegally by a sitting president and a right-wing armed militia. Finally, I'm going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, we're going to fascist Italy. I'm talking about Giuseppe Tassinari, an Italian agronomist, professor, and professional fascist. Tassinari was born in Italy in 1891. He became a famous agronomist, uh, that is a scientist of agriculture. He fought in World War I, which delayed his agronomy degree. And he later became a professor of forestry, that is, you know, like the management of forestry for commercial purposes. He joined the fascist party in the 1920s, like a lot of other leading intellectuals of his era, and he became a member of parliament for them in the late 20s and early 30s. From 1939 to 1941, he was a member of the Grand Council of Fascism, that is the leading body of the Italian fascist state government, uh, as opposed to the Italian parliament, which really didn't have a whole lot of power at the time. He was specifically the Minister of Agriculture, like you would expect. After 1943, when the Italian fascist state was defeated and they surrendered to the Allies, he, that is Tassinari, went to the rump state of the Italian Social Republic in northern Italy, a rump state that the Germans had established for fleeing Nazis to try to, you know, shore up their defense of the Alps. Supposedly, some people in the German government, including uh, Himmler, thought that Tassinari would be a good puppet, and they were considering making him the leader of the Italian Social Republic, which was a puppet state. Uh, however, Hitler wasn't fond of him, you know, their meetings hadn't gone particularly well, and the Germans had already broken Benito Mussolini out of prison to be the leader of the Italian Social Republic, so that was pretty much a non-starter. Tassinari did not hold any permanent political position in the Italian Social Republic, and so he left or like kind of tried to escape it uh, to the Lake of Garda, which is in Normandy in northern Italy. Garda is Italy's largest lake and is a popular tourist destination. I guess, you know, he's trying to hide out. He died there in an Allied air raid this week in history, the 21st of December, 1944. I wanted to highlight this guy's life partly because he was a member of, you know, the leading body governing the Italian fascist state, but also because he was a fascist whose job wasn't related to any of the things that people normally associate with fascism. You know, the guy was a forestry professor and the minister of agriculture. However, 
Such people are also fascists, and they also deserve to be condemned and damned for their engagement with that ideology. So, Giuseppe Tassinari, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. And I mean that sincerely. Tell your friends, family, and comrades about the podcast. If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail at 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism 15. All right. Thanks very much. And I'll talk to you next Tuesday. Thank <laughs> you.